welcome to stat i'm telling you all medical true crime stories and it gets bizarre karen wickiam yeah she used to work in the r and now she's sharing the knowledge so let's get involved hey funny and scary at the same time medical mysteries all facts she ain't lying <laughs> so tune in the stat if you dare because crazy things can happen anytime anywhere <laughs> yeah Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to STAT, Shocking Traumas and Treatments, and I am your host, Karen Wickiam, coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Welcome, welcome, welcome to all of you that are listening, and clearly you are listening, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't even know why why I said that. Anyway, okay, so today's episode is on Andrew Wakefield, known by some as Dr. Andrew Wakefield, known by most as Dr. Anti-Vaxxer, even though that's kind of the name I just made up. I don't know if it's been made up before. But my opinion on anti-vaxxers is I'm outraged. I'm angry to the point of being over the top. Because I can't believe that people out there see vaccinations as a bad thing and put their children and their communities, their countries at risk by refusing to vaccinate. It's taken me a lot to even address doing this guy, but I think it needs to be and give some information on vaccines. But um, I'm going to try to keep it together while I'm doing this because, well, if you're an anti-vaxxer, you know why. So let's get started on Andrew Wakefield. There have been certain people that have questioned the safety of vaccines since vaccines have existed. We know that every medication we put into our body to combat disease has, there is a potential risk. But most of the time, the risk outweighs the benefit. Vaccines have saved the lives of millions from injury or death. Andrew Wakefield exploited this fear for his own personal gain. But every person has to start out as a child. (laughs) I don't know why I say the obvious sometimes, but anyway, it helps with the flow. Andrew Jeremy Wakefield was born Monday, September 3rd, 1956 at the Canadian Red Cross Memorial Hospital near Taplow, Berkshire. 40 miles west of London. He was the second of five children. His mother, Bridget Matthews, was a third-generation physician, a family practitioner. His father, Graham Wakefield, a patrician and physically imposing neurologist, rose to the National Health Service's top rank as consultant. Consultant neurologists are gods among gods. So as you can see, Wakefield comes from a very successful family of physicians. His mother remembers him as her least troublesome child and somewhat of a conformist. His education was local at King Edward's School in Bath, an exclusive independent founded in 1552, where he showed no special smartness. Quote from his mother, I won't say that he excelled in his exams. He actually had to do a redo. At King Edward's, he was known for his natural charisma, which equipped him for what was to come. He had a remarkable ability to win the hearts of others, and it first manifests itself in sport. Another quote from his mother. When he got to secondary school, he was the captain of the rugby team, really, and then head boy, end of quote. Next, he attended St. Mary's, 
He was a poor to average student, but socially brilliant, and was the captain of rugby football. He was seen as a courageous hero storming into the battle on the pitch. He wanted to be a surgeon, and his goal was to become a professor of surgery and wanted all the prestige that it brought. This is a lot considering the fact that he had unremarkable grades in school. As first a student and then a junior doctor, he was unsatisfied. Surgery was not enough. He had bigger dreams. After graduating from St. Mary's in 1981, he went to Canada on a two-year fellowship at the Toronto General Hospital. At the time, Toronto General Hospital was one of the best GI surgery hospitals in the world, with cutting-edge treatment, surgery, and breakthroughs. He ended up in the lab looking to discover something that would make him famous. In 1987, while sipping a beer in a pub in Toronto, he got an idea, a theory that would lead to his disastrous impact on vaccines. Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis was an unsolved mystery in the medical field. They knew what it was and how it was, but not why it was. He said to himself, what if inflammatory bowel disease was not a bowel disease at all? He hypothesized that the ultimate culprit was a virus causing inflammation and cell death in the vessel. He was set to name that virus and achieve the fame that he craved. He dropped the scalpel and picked up the lab coat and walked away from surgery forever. This wasn't any center of excellence. The medical school was nearly bankrupt. When he started at the hospital, he was 32 years old and married to Carmel O'Donovan and had their first child, James. At this time, two Australians from the Royal Perth Hospital, Robin Warren, a pathologist, and Barry Marshall, a clinician, discovered the bacterium H. pylori, which was the main cause of peptic ulcers and could be cured with antibiotics. They won the Nobel Prize. They had published their studies and discoveries in The Lancet, a prestigious medical journal. Wakeful set his sights on all these things, recognition, glory, and fame. It had nothing to do with helping people. It was all about getting him what he wanted by any means necessary. This you will see how shortly. The amount of papers that were published in these prestigious medical journals increased the ranking of the school. Wakefield got the Dean of Medicine, Ari Zuckerman, on board with him because all he saw was dollar signs. In order to study a disease process, researchers often test everything and anything, painstakingly going over all their findings again and again. These are highly trained scientists from many disciplines, virology, bacteriology, microbiology, hematology, and so on and so forth. What did this self-professed surgeon do? He sat down with two volumes of virology text and read it. That's it. That was the extent of his expertise. When he hit the M's in the alphabetically ordered book, he stopped on measles and decided that this was the cause of Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. He surmised that the ulcerization of the inflammatory bowel disease was like measles of the gut. He formed a study group at the hospital called the Inflammatory Bowel Disease Study Group, and he began to gather up scientists and physicians with his charm and enthusiasm. He started his own rumors and legend. Everybody wanted to be on Team Wakefield. He started to get papers published in various small medical journals until he was able to get noticed by the bigger ones, like J-Med Viral. From the beginning, these papers were riddled with inconsistencies, exaggerated stats, and vagueness. But it got him noticed, and he slowly started to bring money into the university, and that made everyone happy, even though he couldn't back his findings. During this time, he and his wife moved into a bigger house in a better neighborhood and had their second child. Things were going as planned, but he needed to get some real results. Crohn's disease was on the rise, and 
cases of measles were scarce due to the lengths of the vaccine. It was working. This was another light bulb moment for Wakefield. Measles vaccines contained weakened but functional measles virus. So this is how measles got into the body and caused Crohn's. Wakefield's sights were set on vaccines and he saw this as the cause of Crohn's disease. He would need money to prove this and he had the schmoozy charisma to get it. The entrance of autism into his hypothesis began in May of 1995. He received a call from the mother of a six-year-old autistic child. This phone call was the gas that powered his attack on MMR, measles, mumps, rubella vaccines, and led to the anti-vaxxer hysteria we see today. The mother and child in this case are known as mother and child too. There were 12 children in total that were studied by Whitfield and his staff, but mother too was seen as the biggest influence on his life. He saw child two as his sentinel case. At this point, I want to talk a little bit about autism. I feel comfortable saying that most people are familiar with autism, if not well-versed. Reviewing this, though, will help us to understand what he put these 12 children through and how they suffered for him to reach his fame. So autism spectrum disorder is a developmental disorder with symptoms that appear within the first three years of life. Most children with autism look like other kids, but they act and interact in ways that feel different from the behaviors of other children. When interacting with others, they may respond in unexpected ways or they may not interact at all. Autism is a spectrum disorder, which means that it appears in a range in forms of level of severity. Some individuals develop typical capabilities in terms of speech and language and develop exceptional skills, but struggle with lifelong social and behavioral differences. Others may have challenges in communication, sensory sensitivities, and behavioral issues, such as excessive tantrums, repetitive behaviors, aggression, and self-harm. So how common is it? For many years, the diagnoses of autism were rare, incurring in just one out of every 2,000 children. However, since the mid-1980s, the rate of autism has increased dramatically around the world. In March 2020, the U.S. Federal Centers of Disease Control announced that one in every 54 children in the U.S. is affected by autism. Autism is most likely to affect boys than girls, but children of all genders have been diagnosed with it. What are the signs of autism? Many signs indicate that an individual might be affected by, I'm going to say ASD. Every person diagnosed with autism is different. Some have several signs and symptoms, while others only have a few. The common early signs are delayed speech or difficulty communicating, poor eye contact, little or no imaginative play, no joint attention, not looking in the same direction of others, showed limited interest in other people, highly emotional responses to changes in routine. So that's a basic description of autism. So let's get back to child number two. This child was born healthy and continued to develop normally. He hit all the milestones. Things began to change when he was about two and a half years old. He became withdrawn and inaccessible, with nightly screaming bouts, and at some point, episodes of headbanging. Now, some children go through this, and it eventually goes away within a short period of time. But this was not the case with child two. He began ignoring his parents, and such speech as he had gained slipped away. Over a period of years, he experienced several regressions, losing speech, play skills, and regard for others, and he was given a diagnosis of autism with developmental delay. The mother consulted with 15 different doctors and specialists, and this all led her to Wakefield. 
She read the questionable paper published in The Lancet about the link between measles and Crohn's. In the meantime, Ari Zuckerman, the dean of medicine, seized on Wakefield's appearance in the journal to showcase the talent he led. Zuckerman, too, had his eyes on the prize. He wanted to be the dean of the entire school at Hampstead, the school attached to Royal Free. His fatal flaw was that Zuckerman decided to allow Wakefield to have a press conference on his completely unfounded hypothesis. Most press conferences were reserved for proven medical breakthroughs, and this was definitely not one. It was an idea at best. He would admit later that it was the biggest mistake of his career. He saw that it led to a dramatic decrease in MMR vaccination, causing a group of diseases that had once been practically eradicated have a resurgence. The press got a hold of this information, and a seed of doubt in vaccines began to grow. Here's a quote from Newsnight on BBC Two. A report in the medical journal, The Lancet Today, suggests people who get vaccinated run a higher risk of developing debilitating bowel diseases, end of quote. Furthermore, they exaggerated this to say that MMR vaccine caused brain damage and bowel disease. Of course, this scared the bejesus out of many concerned patients, especially parents whose children were on the spectrum. These parents were driven by guilt and needed someone or something to blame. Enter Jackie Fletcher, the founder of JABS, Justice, Awareness, and Basic Support. The Lancet paper and the press conference emboldened her to try to stop the MMR vaccine and vaccines in general. Jackie had an eight-year-old son who was autistic, and she stated that he was a perfectly healthy child until 10 days after his vaccine. She wanted justice, but more than that, she wanted to sue the vaccine makers for a lot of money. After the press conference and newspaper and news segments, she went full out. This was the fuel that she needed. Meanwhile, Wakefield had a light bulb moment. What if he could blame the MMR and measles vaccine for the cause of autism? This would be huge. This would win him the Nobel Prize and give him fame and riches. He used Mother and Child's Two stories as a stepping stone for his goal. Mother Two put all her faith into the charlatan, this doctor with no practice or patience and experience. Mother Two was taken by Wakefield immediately. He poured attention on her and her child, appearing very concerned and promising her results. She was used to feeling dismissed by the medical community, and Wakefield made her feel validated and cared for. Mother Two would become one of Wakefield's biggest supporters she and Jackie Fletcher would join together to fight Big Pharma and get their due. Now, I'm placing no blame on Mother 2 because she was desperate to help her child and she was sucked in by this sociopath. This mother, it appeared, had everything he sought. It matched his thinking with this hypothesis. No need for electron microscopes and tissue samples or question mark epidemiology from ancient research projects. Child 2 and the other kids that this mother's group knew of might be living proof that vaccines cause Crohn's. Wakefield lured a highly respected professor of pediatric gastroenterology, Dr. John Walker-Smith, and his team. He didn't come cheap. A whole floor of offices and a medical ward was built for him. Walker-Smith and his team would do the research, and Wakefield would run the show. Walker-Smith's first patient at the newly renovated Royal Free was Child 2. Child 2 was examined and was diagnosed as physically healthy. This is excellent news, right? Well, Wakefield didn't see it that way. It didn't help his hypothesis. That there was a link between bowel and autism brought on by measles via the measles vaccine. He determined that if nothing else was revealed, the child was vaccine injured. With absolutely no indication of it, 
This in no way discouraged Wakefield. He developed something called the Wakefield Protocol, and this was put into place to do his research. It was a grueling set of tests, imaging and surgical exploration, that was to be followed to examine these 12 children. For a child with autism, it was torture. The protocol was over the top and dangerous, as you'll hear. Each child would be admitted on a Sunday afternoon and discharged the following Friday. Testing would include a sedation or general anesthesia, MRI brain scans, wires to the head, EEG, blood and urine tests, lumbar punctures to draw cerebral spinal fluid, barium drinks and abdominal x-rays, and a radioactive shillings test for vitamin B12 absorption, plus a colonoscopy with ileoscopy. Senior physicians questioned the ethics of such radical tests. Somehow Wakefield convinced them. However, there were further protocols put in place. The kids' parents needed referral letters from local doctors, which was the only route to non-emergency admission. So it began. The Royal Free was seen as the mecca for parents desperately seeking answers for the cause and possible cure for their children's autism. In all, 12 were put through these battery of tests. The first was admitted in July 1996, and the last the following February. They were aged between two and a half and nine and a half years old. Eleven were boys, all white. Ten came from England, one from Wales, and one from California. Profound harm was brought to these children, psychologically and physically. Colonoscopy under sedation is dangerous. Biopsy from the cecum, ascending colon, transverse colon, descending colon, and rectum were done. A five-year-old boy's bowel was perforated in 12 places which ended up in a 500,000-pound settlement from the hospital. Child 4 had an horrendous experience. His mother documented the experience, and I'm just going to sum up some of the things she said here. The scoping took an hour. After the battery of tests, the staff documented that Child 4 was inconsolably crying. He fought with the nurses. Blood was found in his stool after the test. He pulled the mattress from his bed, repeatedly vomited, and was tearful throughout the procedure. Wednesday morning, he had to have a barium swallow for an x-ray, but he wouldn't drink the chalky drink. He was taken back to the ward, and they tried holding him down using a syringe, but he fought them. They tried inserting a nasal gastric tube in his nose, but they were unable to, and they stopped the procedure. Then they decided to sedate them, but then they changed their mind. Two days after scoping, the nine-year-old collapsed. Here's a quote from his mother. He collapsed in the corridor. There was nobody around, and I was trying to get back to the lifts. I had gone down a couple of floors, I think, uh, to get a paper or something like that. He was walking along, and all of a sudden he just collapsed. There was nobody around, and I couldn't get help. I was panicking a bit, and then I can't remember how much further he collapsed again. In all, he collapsed three times that day. End of quote. After an EEG and an MRI were both performed on Thursday under sedation, they decided not to do the lumbar puncture. The boy was so ill and repeatedly vomiting that on Friday he was bundled with his mother into a taxi and driven 280 miles home. Other children in the study also suffered. It took three people to hold down child two, merely for a standard blood draw. A four-year-old experienced such a bad headache after the lumbar puncture. Following discharge, his mother called an emergency doctor. A lumbar puncture headache comes from the leakage of cerebral spinal fluid and a drop in pressure, and it's very painful. And obviously, there was no reason to do lumbar punctures on these children. It was abusive and way over the top. 
Child 5, age 7, fared so badly from the lumbar puncture that he was rushed by ambulance from his home to a local hospital and kept for two days for observation. The mother of that last boy initially contested that spinal tap was even needed. Quote, we said no, you know, we thought it was not relevant. It was only because they sort of begged us that we decided to do it. End of quote. Child 4's mother got the results back two weeks later. It was good news. A sign from a little bit of swelling in the bell, which is often caused by poor eating habits. Every test came back normal. And this was documented by Walker Smith. Six months later, the same physician changed his documentation from bowel health to bowel disease. He also added that the child had colitis, and this was not true. The documents were tampered with to support Wakefield's hypothesis. Child 2's documents were also manipulated. He also had a small amount of swelling in his bowel, but all his tests were normal. What's worse, Wakefield recommended that child four be put on mesalazine. This is a very powerful and dangerous drug and given only in exacerbations of Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, which this child had none. Here are some of the side effects. I'm going to whiz through these, but just to give you an idea. Abdominal pain, abdominal discomfort, headache, gas, nausea, fatigue, general feeling of discomfort, weakness, fever, uh, dizziness, rash, severe itching, itching, acne, sore throat, sensitivity reaction, cholestatic hepatitis, decreased creatinine clearance, flu-like syndromes, discolored urine, kidney impairment, hypersensitivity reactions, liver failure, inflammatory bowel disease, abnormal liver infarction tests, diarrhea, abdominal distension, upper abdominal pain, indigestion, back pain, joint pain, high blood pressure, hair loss, hives, pancreatitis, rectal polyps, vomiting, fever, ear pain, inflammation around the heart. I know that was a lot, but I wanted to get across how irresponsible and dangerous prescribing this medication was. It's, it's horrific. The, the other thing to consider here is that an autistic child may not be able to express any of these symptoms, so they could go on for a while other than the obvious ones like vomiting and such. Mother Ford did not want her son to take this drug, but Walker Smith and Wakefield bullied her into it. She didn't give it for long, though. She saw that her child was suffering, and she stopped. Meanwhile, back at the university, everyone was ecstatic. Even though only two children had some very mild symptoms, that being a small amount of, of almost insignificant swelling in the small bowel, they announced that the study could now prove that autism was caused by colitis Crohn's and that those diseases were caused from measles and the measles, mumps, rubella vaccination. Woo, I'm going to stop right there because that was a lot and I think it's a, a good break for what's going to come next. We see the greed in the psychopathy of this man and what he was willing to do that be sacrificing these children and parents and future people because of the anti-vaxxer movement that resulted after this so um hold on to your hats it's going to be informative and probably going to make you even more angry than you are right now if possible i'm assuming you guys are angry just because i am but <laughs> i think i'm probably speaking to pro vaccination people here so anyway 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. I really appreciate it. Please go check out the Facebook page. It's a ton of fun, Stat Shocking Traumas and Treatments. And if you don't mind going over to iTunes and leaving me a review, I love them. I They make my day and also help guide me to do a better job. And if you also don't mind checking out my Patreon account uh, to see all the perks you get there, if you're able to support me monthly, that would be great. And remember, guys, stay safe out there. This COVID stuff is getting out of control again. But um, I know that everybody's doing their best. So please take care of yourselves, take care of one another, and most importantly, love yourself. Peace. One love. True crime and it gets none realer. Sometimes it'll be the cure that'll kill you. Gotta watch out. Yeah, you gotta watch your back. Cause you don't want to be another episode on stat. Thank you for tuning in. Learn a thing or two. These medical mysteries can be unbelievable. Yeah. Subscribe. Make sure you do that so you'll be tuned in and be ready for the next show. Stat.